Welcome to the pen and the yod. This week's Torah portion is Toldot. Rabbi Michael Siegel of Anshayamit Synagogue in Chicago talks with author Jonathan Eig about judging others and getting beyond the one-and-done syndrome. Are you a photographer? I love to take pictures. I'm not particularly good at it, but I love to take pictures. It's amazing how we've all become kind of amateur photographers with our cell phones, don't you think? Oh, yeah. Um, now that everybody has a phone in their pocket all the time, I mean, I cannot only imagine what kind of pictures I would have taken uh, if I had had a phone in my pocket all the time when I was in college or when I was single and I was out having a lot more fun. Um, but now there's no reason to ever miss a thing, which is kind of strange because we've got so much more documented in our lifetime in modern years, in recent years than we used to. Yeah, that's for sure. I actually am sort of glad I didn't have a camera in my younger years. I'm afraid of some of the selfies I would have taken, but I think I'd rather not imagine that. But yeah, um, there's one function on the phone where you can take a panoramic view. Have you ever tried that? Where you kind of move across and you kind of see everything in the picture. And I think that that's a wonderful metaphor for our relationships with others and how we view others. Do we give people the benefit of a panoramic view or do we just kind of focus in on one thing and make a judgment? And I think that that is an issue, not only in our society, because I think we are quick to judge, but in the Bible as well. Well, you know, we mentioned social media and, and there's no place where we're making quicker judgments than there. You know, we are uh, judging people instantly based on, on their posts, on, on their pictures, on, on sometimes just one picture is enough to change our, our image of someone or even to destroy someone's reputation. One mistake on social media, one picture and you're done. So we're making very fast judgments, faster than ever. Right. And that picture focuses on one moment in a person's life, whether it was a terrible moment or not, we, we all have our difficult moments and think we act in ways that we shouldn't. And thinking about our portion this week of Toldot, you have a person who is literally vilified throughout Jewish history, and his name is Esau. Esau is the son of Isaac and Rebekah. He's the firstborn son, and from the biblical point of view, he should have inherited not only their property and then manage the property as the um, as the new patriarch of the tribe after Isaac died. But in this particular case, he would also carry the covenant forward. He would become the next in line. It would be Abraham, Isaac, and then it should be Esau. But that's not the way it works out. And Jacob is, as you know, is going to cheat him in a whole variety of ways. He's going to swindle him out of his birthright and when he's starving one day coming in from the field for a bowl of pottage. And then he's going to literally impersonate Esau and go into a blind Isaac and fool Isaac into giving him the birth blessing so that when Esau comes back from the hunt, he's stripped of all of his rightful firstborn blessings. And yet we make out as though he is the bad guy. And throughout Jewish history, Esau is vilified. And in fact, Esau, because he is red, comes out red, that's where Edom, Esau, he's associated with the Edomites. And the Edomites are associated with Rome. And so the Romans are the descendants of Esau in the rabbinic mind. And then when Rome becomes the Holy Roman Empire, Christendom are the children of Esau. And so he becomes really, uh, it's a pretty negative view. Yeah, we're even throwing a little bit of racism in there, aren't we? Um, and I wonder, you know, why isn't Esau seen as a victim? Why aren't we sympathetic? Because it doesn't suit our narrative. 
the reality is that we are, you and I, we are the sons of Jacob. We're all, we are part of the tribes of Israel. And so that's the way that we, that's the way the Bible tells the story. It's what God wanted. And therefore Esau was not the one to receive the covenant. And so that's what God wanted. And therefore we have to sort of justify our own position and say, well, God must know what God is doing. But if we take the panoramic view, this is a pretty dysfunctional family. Esau, in many ways, as you said, is the victim. Yes, yeah, another example of you know history being written by the winners. So Jacob wins, and he gets to tell the story, and he becomes the focus of uh, of our stories that we tell throughout the years. And Esau has to play the role of the bad guy, but it's it seems to me it's a lot more complicated than that. And what can we learn from trying to open ourselves up to those complications? You know, how can we? learn to embrace the nuance in these stories because history is not really served well by dumbing these things down and by trying to ignore the, the grit. It's hard to look in the mirror and say, I did this for these reasons and it was wrong. You know, that panoramic view of really looking at everything. It's like the truth commissions um, in our own lives. That you have to go back and look at something that you did that you shouldn't have done, that you benefited from, and the manner in which you justified it. But if you don't go back there, and if you don't look at it, and if you don't look at the whole picture, then you're not going to be able to see the balance of it. You won't be able to ever get to a place of equity or balance. That's what people are saying right now in regard to the conversation about reparations, that you know it's not the money. It's about acknowledging the history, how much of this country was built on slavery, and how many generations of people were robbed of their ability to participate as citizens and robbed of their work, families broken up, destroyed, imprisoned, raped. Until we acknowledge that, until we accept the fact that our country's history is, is more complicated than, than our history books would like to, sometimes like to make it out, then there's no real way to heal and to move forward. There's no question that you're right, but the Torah does something that our society seems to be unwilling to do. The Torah sees people as being human, sees them as being inherently flawed. Not bad, not evil, but they, we are a mixture of good and bad, and we're constantly struggling for the good. And if you can't allow for our humanity, then we're going to make summary judgments. And this one's good and this one's bad. Anything that had to do with slavery is inherently evil, and anyone who ever kept slaves is inherently evil. Now, I'm not justifying slavery, but I'm simply saying that if you open the viewfinder, you have to look at the whole picture. And if you only look at that one issue, you're going to come to a whole series of conclusions that may not be the final conclusions, or maybe they're not the conclusions that we would should see in the full perspective. Uh, no question about that. And I, I'm afraid that over the years, we've become less open-minded, less willing to see the nuance. And the age of social media is really inhibiting our abilities to, to stay open-minded and to embrace doubt, to embrace complexity, to embrace flaws in our heroes and even, you know, heroic behavior in our enemies. It does us all a disservice because it, it, it restricts communication. It makes us unwilling to listen. It's more than that, though. It's so much easier to sit in judgment, really thinking about an issue from all sides, taking the panoramic view and kind of 
like looking at the whole expanse of something, that takes time and that can be uncomfortable. You know, a lot of people are saying this or a lot of people are saying that and without asking other questions, okay, then I guess I'm just allowed to think the worst of this person and walk away. I don't want to have anything to do with that person. That person's bad. As far as I'm concerned, we're in a very dangerous moment in our society because we are judging without nuance, without taking any other factors into account. You associate with this, you're wrong. Yeah, uh, some people call this cancel culture, and I don't like that term because I think it, it's another attempt at simplifying things. Um, but there is this tendency just to dismiss people if they make a mistake or if we disagree with them even. If if they voted in a, in a manner that we are opposed to, we cancel them. We deny the validity of their ideas. We deny their, their worth as a human being, and we deem them unwelcome in society. And uh, that's a, a really troubling pattern, I think. I admit that it sometimes feels good to see somebody uh, get their comeuppance, but the idea that we can just be so absolute in our opinions that, that we deem another person or another idea completely unworthy of discussion is, is really treacherous. But you know, look, you're a writer and you write about history and you write about biographical figures. You're writing about Dr. King right now. And I imagine that there are real challenges to writing unflattering pieces about a remarkable but very human person. Well, it works on a couple different levels. One, there's the concern that Dr. King or anyone who I'm writing about will be judged today based on our modern standards. King was very sexist in many ways. He didn't have a lot of women. He didn't trust women to work in positions of power in the movement. And he was unloyal to his wife. So are we going to judge him now by 21st you know, Me Too standards and, and dismiss everything he accomplished? And then there's always the possibility that somebody who writes about him negatively, especially a white person raising these issues of character flaws in Dr. King, that I could be judged harshly too, that I could be canceled. And it's enough, really, the problem is that it's enough to inhibit the activity. It's enough to make some people say, well, I'm just not going to write about that subject because I don't want to bear that kind of scorn. It's bad for my career. It could destroy my career. Then you're inhibiting the flow of thought. You're inhibiting the telling of history and you're shutting down discussion and you're not encouraging people to listen and to think anymore. Have you ever been in that situation where you are about to type something or write something <laughs> and you sort of say, whoa, I'm not sure I want to go there. I, uh... I'm in that situation every day right now because, I mean, I was in that situation a little bit with my Muhammad Ali biography because um, there were some really horrible allegations about him and I didn't have to put them in the book, but I felt like it would be dishonest to leave them out. I'm, I mean, I verified that his relationship with this minor was legitimate, that it happened. I shouldn't say it was legitimate. But he did have a relationship with a minor and I, I felt like I had a, a duty to put that in the book, that I have a duty to the truth um, and I have to let the chips fall. And with King, there are things that I would much rather leave out because they're uncomfortable. And I don't think people are going to I'd be happy to hear that one of our greatest heroes had these had such flaws. But what's the point of trying to tell his life story if I'm not going to tell it honestly? You know, we have Photoshop, right? So we we can take a picture and we can change the reality of, the, of what was taken. Right. And yeah, I, well, it's an option. I could I could clean it up and just make another tribute to, to Dr. King. And my my book, I think, will honor him. And I think it will be a great tribute to his courage, but it's also going to be a, a subtle and a complex one. And you're going to have to deal with, with his flaws just as I'm dealing with them. Well, I think that you have a good model in the Torah. The Torah doesn't pull any punches. The Torah doesn't 
turn Abraham or Isaac or Jacob or Joseph or anyone, Moses or, or Miriam or Sarah, into a saint. They're not flawless. They have flaws. And the Torah is always trying to see people in this sort of 360, the panoramic view. We're looking at everything, that nothing is left out in the story. And it's up to us to continue that to be able to look at people as both great or not great, but also flawed, and take the best of them and take them forward. Thanks, Jonathan. Thank you.